practice? Good morning, everyone. Glad that you are with us today. Let's go ahead and get started. I'm going to invite you to stand with me if you would. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for the awesome God that you are. Lord, we thank you that uh, we get the opportunity to to worship you, uh, worship you with our voices, worship you with our tithes and our offerings, worship you by listening to your word. Lord, I pray that uh, we would be doers of the word and not hearers only, as your word tells us. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would bless today. Help us to have a great day in your house, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and start singing this morning. Uh, First song we're going to sing is in your bulletins or up on the screen. We're going to sing, Come, Now is the Time to Worship.
What I love about that message is you don't have to clean up your act to come and worship God. God wants you to just come to Him as you are and sing your praises. Um, do whatever it is that uh, God is calling you to do. Uh, just come to Him. All right. Um, it is that time of year, believe it or not, and we're going to start singing some Christmas carols. So uh, we're going to sing uh, page 184, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. you look around and say, hey, good to see you today. And you may be seated. All right, let me uh, give you a couple quick uh, announcements today. Today is the last day for the offering, not not offering, period, but uh, uh, for the offering for the uh, Christmas... um, Yeah, the, the teens in uh, Michigan for the missionary Jack Merkel that we support. They do a Christmas thing there. So today's the last day for that. If you choose to give to that, which we hope you will, uh, we're doing this in lieu of uh, the Operation Christmas Child. But if you decide to do that, uh, please put it in the little offering envelope 
and uh, that way we can uh, and mark it on there so we know what, uh, what what's going there. Uh, and then also this Saturday is the ladies' ornament exchange at the Paternies. And uh, if you have any questions about that, see um, see Shannon down here. And uh, December 3rd, next Sunday, uh, in the evening, we're going to have our Make a Joyful Noise unto the Lord Christmas Carol Sing. And uh, that's from 5.30 to 7 o'clock. Um, there's no more flyers back there. Didn't you? You tossed them. So you can't invite anybody else. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, there, uh, you... Yeah, you go pick up the trash. You'll be able to find some. But uh, no, there's. Uh, you can tell people about it. You don't have to have a sheet of paper. But um, that's going to be uh, this coming su- next Sunday from 5:37. Some singing, and uh, we'll have some people do some stuff, and then also afterwards some hot chocolate cookies and, and and whatnot. So hopefully you guys will be here for that. It'll be a great time. Um, and then uh, let's see here, Christmas Eve. Uh, services. Christmas Eve is on a Sunday this year, so we thought we'd try something a little bit different. So we're going to have our, an early Christmas service at 8 o'clock in the morning um, and followed by a carrion breakfast. And then, uh, then you get the rest of the day off, you know, so there's no Sunday school, no regular time worship service at 11. Um, but we will have our Christmas Eve service at 5 o'clock as we normally do. Uh, that evening, and so you'll get a great uh, rest of the day if you need to prepare for uh, food or prepare uh, for, if you have to go Christmas shopping still, uh, we still give you plenty of time to do that. So uh, that is what's upcoming here in the next um, few weeks. All right, um, we're going to go ahead and sing uh, our last song. Uh, it's uh, in, well, it's in the hymnal, page 169, but we're going to sing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And we'll take up the offering during this song as well.
let's sing. I'm going to ask if uh, Hugh would ask God to bless the offering. Amen. Thank you, sir. All right. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter number 1. Here we are finally at the end of our study. I don't know. Maybe you all think finally. I don't know. Uh, but we're finally at our end of our study on prayer. And I don't know about you guys, but it has been a great encouragement to me. I, I have really, really enjoyed it. And I truly needed it. And I hope and pray that it's been challenge, challenging to you as well as a blessing. Now, uh, as I said, we're going to Colossians chapter number one. Uh, most of Paul's writings um, begin with a, a thanksgiving. Uh, and and he, he begins with a thanksgiving prayer for the believers that he writes to. And so Paul doesn't just tell them that he's been praying for them. He actually kind of gives them uh, examples of what he's been praying for them. And so moved by the Holy Spirit, Paul writes many of the contents of those prayers. And uh, really they're lessons to, uh, on, for us on how to learn how to pray. And so today uh, we're going to be looking at uh, his prayer to, for the believers in the book of Colossians. So the apostle has already told the church that he regularly prays for them. Now he tells them exactly what he has prayed on their behalf. But this is more than just a glimpse into his prayer life. It's a, it's a teaching and it's a training in prayer. Uh, and so Paul's prayer recorded here is a model of intercession. Uh, it's whenever we pray on behalf of someone else. It shows us how we should be praying for one another as, one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. It also shows us how to bring our own needs and our own concerns and our own burdens to the Lord in prayer. So today I want to focus on the main prayer request that Paul makes for the uh, believers in Colossae. Before he gets to the petitions, though, there's a lesson uh, to learn. First, it is important to note that Paul was in prayer. I mean, this letter is one of the prison epistles. And if you're not sure what that means, that means that he did not write these letters while he was on sabbatical, like on some beach somewhere. He wasn't uh, uh, in, in a, a, a pastor's study somewhere. No, he was under house arrest in Rome uh, where he was awaiting trial. He didn't know whether he was going to be convicted or executed or vindicated or released or whatever the case may be. Yet Paul was not in prison blaming God or even pitying himself or complaining uh, to others, no, Paul didn't do any of that. No, Paul prayed. What about you? When you face troubles, when, when you face pressures and uncertainties, how do you respond? Do you worry? Do you complain? Or do you pray? Now, for the sake of argument, let's assume that you pray. But if you're in Paul's predicament, what would you pray? I mean, I know what I would probably be praying. I'd probably be saying, God, get me out of jail. You know, or give me a really good lawyer that's going to protect me, or, 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 or give me protection from other prisoners while I'm in prison. But uh, as we read through this prayer, you'll see that <coughs> Paul's request was not preoccupied with the difficult situation that he was in. No, he prayed for others, not himself. 
So Paul began to pray for the Colossians after a report that he had received about the condition of the church. Now, for the most part, it was good news. Uh, it was good news that Paul gave them uh, thanks to God, verses 3 through 8. Uh, yet Paul still prayed for the Colossians after receiving this good report. And I think this is important for us to, to, to notice. All too often, we only pray for others whenever they're going through some type of difficult situation. Maybe we hear bad news of health concerns or family issues or financial crises. Crises, that's the word. Um, You know, it may be those things. But, uh, you know, we intercede for those. And it's good that we're doing that, you know, for those that are doing poorly. But the problem is that we ignore those that are doing well. (coughs) We're too quick to pray for those who are weak, but we're often slow to pray for those uh, who are apparently strong. But Paul was wise enough to know that there were dangers, toils, and snares down the road. And so he prays for those believers after receiving a great report about them. Now, Paul didn't just, ask, uh, uh, didn't just pray for them once or twice just in passing. Paul prayed for the Colossians unceasingly. What is that all about? Well, um, what I think is important for us to notice is that uh, that is an essential mark of effective prayer life is that it is diligent, persistent, and continual. It's not just a one and done kind of thing. Uh, This is how Paul prayed for the Colossians. And this is even more amazing when you consider that Paul and the Colossians had never met face to face. They were just pen pals. You know, Paul had not visited the church, yet Paul continually prayed for them. They were just pen pals. Amazing. Um, Now, there are many times that we fail to pray for our closest friends or our family members, but Paul prayed unceasingly for people that he had never even met. How do you pray for someone you've never met? When you do not even know the person or the circumstances that they're going through. How do you pray when you don't know what to pray? And this is where Colossians 1 comes in. I believe at least. And as we read through this prayer, it's obvious that Paul does not pray about physical or material or even relational circumstances with the believers there in Colossae. Uh, That's not to say that you should not pray about those things or or, or your health or finances, family, career, goals. Um, You ought to pray about everything as we've talked about before. But when something is not right in a believer's life or in a local church, The heart of the matter is always the matter of the heart. We are prone to focus on our circumstances, but God wants to focus on our heart. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. As we talked about last week, God is always more concerned about what is happening in you than what is happening to you. God is always more concerned about what is happening within you than He is about what is happening around you. God is always more concerned about your internal disposition than He is about your external situation. So Paul prayed about heart-level issues. He prayed for needs. He prayed for issues and concerns that were underneath the skin. He prayed about spiritual priorities. And in so doing, Paul shows us how we should pray when we don't know what to pray. 
So the first thing that we need to do is that we need to pray for devotion to God's will. Pray for devotion of... Oops. Maybe. Did I do something wrong, Dave? I did something wrong. Ha, there we go. Oh, too far. Okay, I got it. Maybe. <laughs> All right. Uh, pray for devotion to God's will. So there's a request that comes at the beginning here. So let's look at verse number 9, and then I'll, I'll address what it, what it says up there. It says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. This is the request that Paul makes. That we would be, well, that the, the, the church there in uh, Colossae would be filled with the knowledge of His will. Not Paul's will, but God's will. Well, really, what is Paul asking here? Well, let's determine that by, de- by clarifying what he is not asking. Paul does not pray for God to place the Colossians in his divine will. He assumed that the circumstances were not accidental or incidental. Paul took it for granted that the Lord had a plan, the Lord had a purpose for them. And the same is true for us in our situations. As children of God, there are no accidents in your life. Likewise, Paul not only uh, didn't pray for to place the Colossians in his will, but Paul doesn't ask God to reveal his will to the Colossians. He prayed with assurance that God had a plan for their lives and that God wanted them to know his plans and that they may would walk in them. In another prison letter, Paul instructs uh, the believers there. to. He says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, some people are wondering, how in the world can I find the will of God? Well, first off, God doesn't play hide-and-seek with His will, okay? Um, when it comes to revealing His will to you for, for your life, He doesn't hide it from you. God has a plan for your life, and God wants you to know His will so that you can do it. Well, how can we discern it then? How, how do we figure out what it is? Well, Paul answers this. Verse number 9. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You see, God's will is revealed through spiritual wisdom and understanding. Some people think that they can use common sense to figure out what God's will is for our lives. Well, first off, common sense is not very common. Okay, it it, it really isn't. But while God does give us common sense, the Bible never instructs us to seek spiritual discernment through common sense. You need both spiritual wisdom and understanding. Even Solomon said this in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Don't try to figure, out, figure it out all on your own. In other words, you've got to trust God. Do not trust what you think you know or what you think you understand. You know, what you know and what you think you understand is not enough for us to lean on. And then Solomon added in verse 6, In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. 
So what then is Paul asking for when he prays that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding? Well, I believe the key to, uh, to this prayer is found in the word filled. We all just got done with Thanksgiving. We know what filled is what it means, right? Right? You know, it's like uh, I'm about to explode. There, I'm filled with the turkey dinner. Uh, <clears throat> but that's not just it. You know, the word filled actually means to bring something to a saturation point or, or a, a level of containment. But when the word is used here in this uh, passage, it's not talking about the, the literal meaning of filled. It's talking about metaphorically. And, and metaphorically means that it, 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 it is to, totally uh, uh, filled. The idea is that something that is already full has no room for anything else. So when Scripture speaks of being filled with something, that means that the thing is the driving force. Uh, controlling presence or dominating presence in our lives. That's why Paul exhorted the Ephesians to be filled with the Spirit. They were to be controlled by the Spirit, not to be controlled by uh, anything else. <coughs> that the Holy Spirit was supposed to be their governing influence. And in the same way, Paul prays that the believers here in Colossian, uh, in, uh, in Colossae would be filled with, governed by, and submissive to the will of God in their lives. So could this be the reason why you struggle to figure out what God's will is for your life? You may be unable to discern God's will because you're unwilling to devote your life to God's will. You can't know it if you're not going to do it. I mean, we all ought to be praying like children to a Heavenly Father uh, for spiritual wisdom, but often we're, we, we pray like uh, businessmen, shrewd businessmen, you know, doing cut, uh, cutthroat negotiations, you know, in a, in a boardroom of some kind. We have a need. We present it to God in prayer. We're like, okay, God, uh, this is my offer. This is what I want you to do. And God looks at it in our minds. God looks at it and he counter offers. And then we look at it and then we counter offer. And then God looks at it and he counters offer. But we don't want to accept it right away because there's something better might be coming along. That's not the way we're supposed to figure it out. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. You know, we, we think, well, I want to keep my options open. But that is not... <clears throat> That's not what we're supposed to do. God doesn't reveal His will for us, for our entertainment purposes. God reveals His will to us who have already pre-decided. Remember that series we went through? Pre-decide what we're going to do before the situation comes. God reveals His will to those who pre-decide that we're going to obey whatever God gives us. In John 7, 17, Jesus answers the question that the people had about how he could know so much without any type of formal training. And he says in, in uh, John 7, 17, <coughs> If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak in my own authority. He's saying you cannot know the will of God if you're not willing to do his will. So to figure out what God's will for your life, you must devote yourself to God's will. You have to be filled. You have to be. That has to be the driving force for you. So that's the request. The request is that we would be filled with the knowledge um, of His will. Now there's a reason for it. And the reason uh, is found in verse number 10. It says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge 
of God. So why does Paul pray that they be filled with the knowledge of His will? So that they could walk <clears throat> worthy of the Lord. So Paul is not talking about literal walking. He's not like, okay, let's go for a walk. We're going to walk around the block. We're going to go out on the trail and walk. No, that's not, the, that's not what he's saying. Um, Paul is talking about the metaphorical movement, you know, that progress, that consistency. He's talking about lifestyle, uh, consistent conduct or habitual behavior. It's about how you live your life, that you can live a life that is pleasing to the Lord, that is worthy of the Lord. This is why Paul prays that they be filled with the knowledge of his will. It is necessary for us to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. Now, worthy, you say, well, what does that mean? Worthy means to be comparable to a standard. Comparable to a standard. Uh, the word originally referred to scales. You know what I'm talking about, the scales? Um, and, and then after a while, it, was re- uh, um, it became known for, well... The word meant whatever you placed on that scale to, to balance out the weight, to figure out how much it weighed. Um, and then later it developed to refer to one thing being comparable to another as if on a scale. So what Paul is asking the Lord to help here is to help the church live up to God's standard. Not man's standard. Not anybody else's standard, but God's standard. By praying this, Paul makes it very clear that God does not exist to do our bidding. He exists to fulfill God's expect... I'm sorry. We exist to fulfill God's expectation in us. We are to live up to God's standard. We are to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. Uh, Back in the Civil War, um, there was a president... By the name of Abraham Lincoln. Anybody ever heard of him? Well, someone asked President Lincoln, they're like, well, aren't aren't you glad that God is on our side rather than those Confederates? And Lincoln responded to him, the real question is not whether God is on our side, but whether we are on God's side. And I think Lincoln's right. What matters the most is that we're on God's side. Not that God's going to do whatever we want Him to do, but that we are on God's side. We must walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. So the request is that we would know God's will. Okay? And the result of that, (coughs) I'm sorry, the reason of that is so that we can walk worthy of the Lord. And the result of that, how can I know whether I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord? Paul explains there in the second half of the verse number 10. But we'll start at the beginning. It says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So the result of all that is that we would be fully pleasing to the Lord. Note the progression of this prayer. Paul Praise that the church would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in order to walk worthy of the Lord. Then he says uh, the first sign that you are walking right with God is that you are more concerned about pleasing God than you are pleasing people or even yourself. You will be fully pleasing to Him. Now, what in the world does that mean, to be fully pleasing to Him? Well, the Greek term uh, that Paul uses here speaks of pleasing the Lord once referred to one that would do anything to please someone else, whether it's illegal, immoral, or unethical. But what Paul is saying here is that you should be willing 
to do whatever it takes to please the Lord. That's what we should be. We should be fully pleasing to God. We should not be content to merely get a passing grade. Oh, hey, I got a C minus. Hey, at least I don't have to take that class over. You know, uh, we should strive to get a hundred percent on every single assignment that God gives us. Now, hold your place there in Colossians and flip back a couple of pages to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter two. We'll we'll get there in just a moment. <coughs> You know, it's easy for us to fall into the trap of trying to please people. You just can't please all the people all the time. Uh, I read of a story that explains this. One day a father and his son were walking their mule to the marketplace. As they walk alongside uh, the road, they see some people and they hear somebody say, uh, wow, I can't believe they're just walking alongside the mule. They should at least be riding that mule. And so the father got up onto the, the donkey and, and, and then the son was walking. And so they pass another group of people who criticize the father for riding while making his son walk. Hearing these complaints, the guy, the dad got off the donkey and um, the son got on. And so they proceeded on and they passed another group of people who criticized them that the son was arrogant enough to ride and let his dad, his poor old dad, walk. And so um, then they, they, <clears throat> they both got on the mule and they proceeded on the way and they passed another group of people who criticized them that they were working that poor mule to death by having to carry both of those people. You know, the point of the story is that if you live to please people, you will either lose your mule or you'll lose your mind. You just can't do it. So, the first way that we can be fully pleasing unto God is that we're going to do whatever we can within our power to please Him. Doing whatever we can. The second way that we can please God is, you know, be bearing fruit in every good work. The Bible is very clear that no one can be saved by performing good works. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Worse, we can do nothing to win the approval of God on our own. We're guilty, uh, of, we're guilty sinners who fall so short of God's righteous standards. Well, then how in the world can a sinner get right with God if everything we do is not good enough? <coughs> well, that's why I had you go to Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look at verse, uh, verse number 8. You want to know how you can get right, made right with God? Right here. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. He's saying, you can't do it. It's not of yourselves. It's only by God giving it to us. Verse 9, it says, not of works, saying you can't do enough good to be, appro- uh, to be approved by God. <coughs> to be acceptable by God. To bear fruit by God, if it's all done in our own strength. He says, lest uh, anyone should boast. So we're saved by grace, through faith, and for good works. Look at verse number 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. What's those next three words? For good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Although we are not saved by works, we are saved for good works. If you are truly a child of God, there are, you're going to do what you can to please Him. And you're going to bear fruit 
because God is working in us and through us. The third way that uh, we can fully please Him is by increasing in the knowledge of God. Increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul reveals uh, uh, to the Philippians the, the consuming passion of his life. In Philippians 3.10 it says, That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being conformed to His death. When Paul writes this, he had been walking with the Lord for some 30 years already. He knew the Lord. He had introduced many people to the Lord. He'd planted churches. He'd written letters. He'd mentored leaders and spread the knowledge of the Lord. And it can be argued that no human being knew the Lord better than Paul did. So what in the world does he mean that I may know him? Paul wants to know the Lord better. Know the Lord deeper. Know the Lord personally. Know the Lord intimately. Paul's desire is what God wants every follower of Christ to have. To want to know God more. And not just in a a head knowledge way. But we want to know it so that we can be fully pleasing to Him. So that we can bear fruit by doing what He calls us to do. So, <clears throat> That's our uh, first thing uh, that we need to pray for God's will in our lives. Uh, the, the second thing we need to do is we need to pray with dependence. Pray with dependence on God's power. Now flip back to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to read verse number 11. Colossians 1.11 Strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and longsuffering with joy. You see, now, here's the second request that comes here. Uh, it emphasizes how vital it is that we live in dependence on God's power. That's the request. Live in dependence on God's power. Well, do we really need God's power? Oh, most definitely. we got to have it. First of all, the power of God is necessary. Paul does not stop his prayer after asking that the saints be filled with the knowledge of God's will. He prays that they be strengthened with all of His power. And both are necessary in our walk to figure out God's will for our lives. Sure, you need God's help to be submissive to His will. But you also need divine help to obey the will of God. You cannot do God's will in your own strength. You just can't do it. Jesus said in John 15, 5, He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. That's the key to a fruitful life. You must acknowledge that God is the gardener. You must embrace that Jesus Christ is the true vine, and you... (coughs) And you must remember that you are just a branch on that vine. God's power is necessary. Likewise, uh, not only is it necessary, but God's power is also available to us. And this prayer request provides simple, practical, and helpful advice for the burdens that we carry, the challenges that we face. Pray about it and don't stop praying. If you pray about it, God's going to give you the strength that you need. 
as strength is needed. Uh, Isaiah 40, 31, a lot of us have heard this uh, if you've been in church for very long. It says, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The promise is not that you will feel strong. You may feel anything but strong, and that's okay. Actually, that's a good thing, because the weaker that you feel, the more you're going to lean on God, because you're going to say, I can't do this on my own. And once again, Paul is our example to having God's strength when we uh, feel weak. Um, in another passage of Scripture, and I think it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, <coughs> Paul talks about the the... the uh, problems that he has. He said, I was given a thorn in the flesh. And he was given that thorn in the flesh to keep his pride in check. And we don't know what that was, but whatever it was, it hurt him. It bugged him. It irritated him. And so the, uh, Paul prayed to the Lord three times to take it away, and God refused. Now don't miss that. It's a fact about prayer that you can't afford to ignore. Sometimes God says, uh-uh. Nope. Nope. But within that no, there's almost always a yes embedded into it. You see, the Lord gave an answer to Paul's prayer that wasn't the prayer request that he asked. He asked God to take it away, but instead God answered the, the, what Paul, Paul should have prayed. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. So God's power is available to us. It's also necessary. The third one is uh, that the power of God is sufficient. Look at verse 11. Strengthened with all might. According to His glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. That phrase, according to, uh, is very significant. It means that uh, the strength of God that He provides is according to His exhaustive sovereignty. Not according to our limited uh, resources. I mean, sometimes we look at how big something is in front of us and, and we say, man, that is huge. And we look at our own limited strength and we conclude there's no way I can get past this. There's no way I can prevail. We just glance at God, but we gaze at the Goliath that's in front of us. Look again. If that's the conclusion that you're drawing, you're looking in the wrong direction. The question is not whether you can do it. The question should be, can God do it? And I want you to know that God can do it for you. There are two guys in the Old Testament, Joshua and Caleb. Moses sent out 12 spies into the, uh, the promised land to, to, to spy out the land to see if the Lord was really telling the truth about that the promised land was filled with milk and honey and just some amazing stuff. And upon their return, the 10 spies, well, they all said, hey, everything that God said is true. Uh, man, it was awesome. They carried one cluster of grapes on a, on a branch that two guys had to carry. I mean, that's just, it was so much there. It was such a, an amazing land. But ten of the guys said, oh, yeah, yeah, it's true. God did say, everything that God said was there, it was there. But there's a whole bunch of big old dudes that are there. There's giants in the land. And you know what? We're like little grasshoppers in their sight. There's no way that we can do anything because they're just huge people. 
And they said, we can't do it. But there was another report given by Caleb and Joshua who saw that they saw the giant people as well, but knowing their powerful God, they said, no, we can't do it, but we can do it with God. God can do it. May the Lord give you an unwavering trace, faith, an unwavering trust in the face of overwhelming circumstances that nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with Him. So the request that is given is that we would live in dependence upon God's power. The reason that we need to learn to live in dependence on God's power is found in the second half of verse number 11 of Colossians 1. He says, For all patience and longsuffering with joy. I forgot to put God is, God's power is sufficient, didn't I? Sorry. <clears throat> the reason for all patience and long-suffering with joy. We do not need divine enablement to, in order to preach or teach or lead or witness or any of those things. We, we need divine enablement for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Patience and long-suffering, they are similar terms, um, but there is a subtle difference between the two of them. And, <clears throat> patience comes from the Greek word that means to remain under. It is the word the New Testament uses to describe how Christians should respond to difficult circumstances. You're under a heavy load, but you don't quit. You're going to keep moving forward, even though you are carrying a heavy load. Long-suffering is a word uh, used to describe how Christians should respond to difficult people. Uh, it means that you are slow to anger. You do not have a, a quick fuse with people. People do not easily push your buttons. This is why you need divine enablements in your Christian walk. There will be times when you will have to deal with difficult circumstances and difficult people. And Paul prays this way because God does not want His Christians to be weak, to be unstable, to be reactionary. Uh, um, you know, that, that, to react instead of uh, be proactive. He doesn't want them to run from church to church or job to job or city to city or relationship to relationship when things don't go their way. God wants us to have a, a staying power. We should be following Paul's advice to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15.58 when he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So when God gives you strength, it will not be that grin and bear it, you know, grit of your teeth, you know, I'm going to do this if it kills me. Not that endurance and patience, no. It will be the endurance and patience with joy. You're going to go through that big challenge. And those who know you and know what you're going through, they're going to expect to see you broken hearted, bowed head, heavy spirit. But to their surprise, you're going to be full of joy. No, you're not happy about what you're going through. But you have joy in spite of what you're going through. James 1, verses 2 and 3 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So what are the results? We, we've seen the second request here, that we live in dependence on God's power. 
The reason for that is so that uh, uh, for all patience and long-suffering with joy. So what's the result of this prayer? How can you identify one who has been strengthened with all power according to his glorious might? Well, the result is that we pray with thanksgiving. We pray with thanksgiving. Look at verse number 12, Colossians 1. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. What a challenging thought. You know, I, I think the distinctive mark of a Christian is that he or she gives thanks in all circumstances. Strong Christians are grateful people. Weak Christians can thank God only when the sun is shining. Weak Christians can thank God only when things are going their way. Weak Christians can only thank God when they've got money in the bank. Only when their family is at peace. Only when their career is on track. But strong Christians are perpetually thankful. They're looking for things to be thankful for. Is this how we come before God? With a thankful attitude? You say, well, what do I have to be thankful for? What has God done for me? Well, Paul gives you that answer as well. Again, verse 12. <coughs> Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. In short, Paul is saying that we should thank God above everything else for our salvation. If you've received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, as your Lord and Savior by faith, you always have something to be thankful for. You don't have to check your bank account to find a reason to be thankful to God. You don't have to live in a big house in a gated community to find reason to thank God. You can thank God because you are saved. Lots of things happen after we pray, including the ability to know God's will, the ability to be pleasing to God and to increase our relationship with God. And it all starts by putting your faith and trust in Christ for salvation. That's where it begins. So, thank God that you're saved. Thank God that He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His saints. Thank God that He has delivered you from the domain of the darkness. Thank God that He has transferred you into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Thank God that He has redeemed you. Thank God that He has forgiven your sins by the blood of Jesus. All of that is found in those verses that we just read. Thank God that He hears and He answers the prayers of those who belong to Him in Christ. Sometimes I, uh, <clears throat> I get to an end of a message or an end of a series and I, I, try, I struggle with how do I wrap this all up. And uh, since I used uh, um, the majority of my information from a, a book, I've, I've been telling you about it. It's called It Happens After Prayer by H.B. Charles. Fantastic book. Um, you don't really need to go buy it because I pretty much preached it all to you uh, over the last nine weeks. But um, I'm going to end this series with how he ended his book. He says, I learned that it happens after prayer. It does not happen after you read about prayer or talk about prayer or hear a stirring message about prayer. It happens after prayer. 
Do you believe that? Do you believe God hears and answers prayer? The proof of faith is obedience. It is not about what you think or say. It is about what you do. I hope this has challenged you to a life of prayer. Trust the sovereignty, wisdom, and goodness of God. And don't stop praying. No, I cannot guarantee that prayer will bring the results that you want in life. But prayer will align your heart with God's will. And as you pray, God works. God's ways are best. His plans are good. And His power is unlimited. Prayer works. If you do it. If if you do it right. You know, there's wrong ways to pray. And we've talked about that over the last several weeks. If you're doing it right and you're asking God for His will to be done and that you would be okay with His will being done, it's going to make a world of difference in your life. As he says, don't just be challenged by a message. Just start doing it. That's when you're going to learn how much prayer works and how well it works. It all happens after prayer. Thank you for going through this journey with me. Uh, uh, in this, I, I've loved this series. And I hope it has changed the way that you pray. Because that's what we all need to do. Get it, stop focusing on us and focusing on the Lord. Would you stand with me as we go to the Lord in prayer? Lord, we thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you didn't just leave us out there trying to figure it all out on our own, but you've given us your word to show us how we ought to be living our lives as your children. And Lord, for the Christians that are here this morning, I pray that you help us. Help us in our prayer life. That we would be better than what we have been. That we take simple steps to pray about everything. To give you thanks about everything in the midst of everything. And to worship you. Lord, so much of prayer we miss because we always only think about the, the gimme's. Give me this, give me that. Heal this person. Heal that person. Help us, Lord, to realize that we're missing out a lot. That we are robbing ourselves of true joy in our fellowship with you. Thank you for this series. Thank you for its challenge. Lord, I think of, uh, if if there's one here today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that you would give them the strength that they need, the faith that they need to step out and to talk to me or someone else that they trust to be able to share with them from your word how they can be saved. How they can have a relationship with you. How they can begin to have their prayers answered by you. Lord, you are a great God. You give us so much more than we even deserve. We give you the praise. We, do, we try to give you the praise. We try to give you the glory that is due your name. Help us to do so, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
We're going to sing a verse of invitation, page 425 in uh, your hymnal. Excuse me. Whatever your need is, I invite you to come. for being here. I pray that you have a great week and uh, pay attention to the announcements in the bulletin. Let's close this uh, uh, part of our service in prayer and I'm going to ask if uh, Harold would close our service.